Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Has Jesus changed your life? Will Jesus change your life? Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 18. When the Lord comes into someone's life, that life is changed. Has Jesus changed your life? Is He your Lord? Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 18, please. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? Your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it and the new from the old, and the worse, a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath... He was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Biathar, the high priest. He ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger and grieved at the hardness of their heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. We're in a section of the Gospel of Mark that is a little bit challenging to preach, but the theme is very clear. The Lord has entered into Israel. The Lord has entered to His people's presence. And they're pushing back. The Lord demands authority. The Lord claims authority and power and might. And the religious leaders are not having it. 
the section that we looked at the last few weeks. Uh, remember when Jesus met the paralytic and he said to him, your sins are healed. Remember the Pharisees? Remember their thinking? How they said, how could he say these things? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Their thinking is that Jesus is claiming authority for himself that he does not have. And then last week we looked at how Jesus invited a, a tax collector, a sinner, to come and follow him. And then, then he went to the sinner's house and he hung out with other sinners. And how they are offended. The, the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, the scribes were offended that he would break the law in such a fashion to hang out with outcasts and sinners. Who does he think he is? They have their authority, and Jesus is claiming his authority. In these last three stories we just read, same question arises. Who is in charge? By whose authority? By whose power? Who is the Lord? The religious leaders are in conflict with Jesus because he claims authority over their law. And because he claims authority that threatens their authority and threatens their way of life and threatens what they've always believed, they've decided to kill him. It's very easy for us as Americans to accept Jesus as Savior. Man, we, we, the, the gospel even that was presented this morning at the communion table, once you make your decision to come and receive the grace of God, once you make your decision after what He's done on the cross, He's died for you, He's given His life for you, won't you receive His grace and forgiveness and healing? And so many Americans, the, the majority of Americans say, yes, amen. I take Jesus as my Savior. But how many people really come to the conclusion that He is authoritative in their life? How many people come to the conclusion that He is Lord King, boss, CEO of their life. That's a whole other challenge. That's a whole other story for a lot of people. Who do you say Jesus is? Mark is conf he's confronting us with these stories. He's, he's gathered them. They're, they're not necessarily chron chrono chron chronological. They're not necessarily in sequence. He's pulling together some snippets from Jesus' life, some important points. He's saying that Jesus brought his authority here, and he brought his authority here, and he brought his authority here. and they didn't receive Him as Messiah. What about you? What about your life? Who's authoritative in your life other than Jesus? Who should be the boss of your life? Who has authority to tell you what to do and tell you how to live if not the Lord Jesus Christ? We see the authority question if you look again at verse 18, chapter 2. The traditional route uh, in, in Judaism of the day, uh, you, you see this in the Sermon on the Mount, the big thing that the Jewish, talk, the Jewish people talk about, the, the three practices always are almsgiving, fasting, and prayer. Remember in chapter 6 of Matthew when Jesus says, when you fast, when you give, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Well, the hypocrites, meaning the religious leaders, they were always talking about how important it was to fast. Really, the only fast called for in the law, the Torah, was the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees, man, they raised fasting to a great level. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays 
religiously. Their fasting went so far as to, from sunset, from sundown to sundown uh, on Mondays and Thursdays, they wouldn't even drink any water because they were so religiously oriented that we're proving to God that we're worthy. We're proving to God that we're righteous. We are, we are holy. And so John's disciples are fasting, and the Pharisees are fasting. People came to Jesus and said, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? You see what they're asking him. They're saying, why are you so um, less, less religious? Why aren't you so less uh, spiritual? If you were a true leader, if you were a true rabbi, you'd do what the common custom is. You'd follow the, the, the religious dictates. You'd go with what the religious leaders are say, say how you should live and how you should, how you should teach your disciples. Obviously, if you're not doing things according to the oral law, the tradition of the elders, the common customs and traditions of the day, you're bogus. What do you say about that, Jesus? Why aren't you following everybody else's way? And the obvious thing that Mark wants us to see is that Jesus has his own authority. He doesn't do what everyone else does. He doesn't do what the religious leaders say. He doesn't follow the customs and ways of the world. He does what he says is right. Remember back at the beginning when he first went into Capernaum. He first went in the synagogue, and, they, and he taught, and they were amazed by his authority. They say, man, he's got such authority. It's not like the scribes. It's not like the teachers of the law. And, and what they meant by that, the scribes always have footnotes. The scribes always refer to somebody. Rabbi so-and-so said this. Rabbi such-and-such said that. Jesus didn't quote anybody. He was his own authority, his own power, his own word. And they were amazed because no one ever taught like that. So here they say, why aren't you fasting, Jesus? In verse 19, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. In other words, it would be inappropriate. The groom is here. This is like a wedding. And remember the context we're in in the Gospel of Mark? He's preaching the kingdom of God. It's at hand. The, the rule of God is, is come. Get ready for the judgment. Repent and turn your life over to Him. Get right with God again. It's, it's, a, it's a time of joy and celebration. The time of promise. The age that was promised. It's the time of fulfillment. And He's the fulfillment. The Messiah has come. The King has come. The King has arrived. And, and basically He's saying uh, in the Old Testament, who, what was Yahweh's relationship with Israel? Oftentimes, he was compared to Israel's husband or Israel's lover, especially in judgment passages when Israel would cheat on him with idols and other gods. And so he's using that analogy in the, in the context of the kingdom coming, and he's saying, this isn't a time for fasting and mourning. The the the. The, the Pharisees, their, their fasting was about crying out for God to get rid of the Romans, mourning over the brokenness of the nation. The, the, John's disciples, probably by this time, John has been arrested, and, and maybe by this time he's been put to death by, by the Herods. And, and maybe they're mourning over the loss of their leader. 
and they're mourning over the brokenness of the nation. They're, 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 they're praying to God and they're, they're you know, tearing their garments, so to speak. Please look at our problems. Look at our challenges. Please, God, come. And, and Jesus said, man, God's come. The kingdom is here. It would be totally inappropriate for you to fast right now, even though all the religious dictates, all, all the religious mandates say so. I'm not going to listen to the mandates of the religious leaders. He's claiming his own authority. He's claiming his own power. It wouldn't be right. And, and man, nobody ever does this. Nobody ever comes to these kind of conclusions. He's an outlier. He's different than everybody else. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Certainly, he's talking about his arrest and talking about Good Friday. When he's murdered. And then they will fast in that day. But... but Think about Jesus' authority and think about his place in the world. Think about his coming. He says, he, he uses two parables. He, he, he describes it this way. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment, do they? No. What that means is the old garment's already shrunk. Okay? The old garment's it's already shrunk down in all the washing and drying. But a new patch, it hasn't shrunk yet. So if you put the new patch on the old garment, when they wash it, it it's going to make the tear worse as the new patch shrinks out of proportion to the old garment. Jesus is basically saying, I'm the new patch. My kingdom does not fit these old religious patterns. These old, struct these old structures, these old uh, man-made laws that you're living by, these old dictates that you've, you've been teaching your disciples and your disciples, they don't fit anymore. Uh, through Mark, we're going to see Jesus get rid of the ceremonial law. With the coming of the King, the old covenant is being fulfilled. The new covenant has arrived. For us as Christians, not new, old covenant people, we're new covenant people. With Jesus' coming, with the Messiah's coming, with the King's coming, some of the old patterns, the, the old rituals, the old fastings, the old feasts, they're not relevant anymore. Jesus is saying, man, when, 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 when a new patch comes, you can't, you can't make the old customs fit. You can't make the old ways fit. So fasting, it's got its place. There's nothing wrong with fasting. But to make me fit your traditions and your man-made laws, it's not going to happen because I have an authority of my own. And the same thing with the, the next parable. No one puts a new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. What's going on there? So they would take goat skins, you know, they'd sew them together, and the wine that they put in there was, was typically not fully fermented. And so as they put the wine in the goat skins, the fresh goat skins, the, 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 the wine as it fermented, it would expand. The, the, the gas and, and the skins would expand, right? And so you, you put new wine in the new... What would happen if you put it in the old wineskins? The old wineskins are cracked. They're, they're, they're dry. They don't expand anymore. So you put the new, new wineskins into the old... old uh, the new wine into the, into the old wineskins, they're going to burst, and you're going to lose the wine and the skins. It's the same thing. Jesus is saying, I'm the new wine. You can't put me in your old patterns. You can't put me in your old structures. You can't put me in the old Judaism. Because the kingdom has come. Life has arrived. The salvation is here. You, 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 can't, you can't put me into those old patterns. Don't think about it. So, so they, they question his, his, why aren't you living this way? 
Why aren't you living like the elders say you should? Because the kingdom has come. It's here. The rule of God is here. You can't put me into those old traditions. Rather, you should adjust your life to my authority. You should put your life into my patterns of teachings. You should put your life into my way of living. You should come under my rule and my reign. That would be fitting. That would be like a fresh wineskin holding the new wine of salvation. The second passage of conflict, it's more, it's heavier. It's it's deeper. If you were to define Judaism in the first century, what it would come down to would be circumcision, uh, temple, of course, but, but Sabbath. Sabbath was a huge issue. It defined the Judaism. It was, it was a massive issue for all the Jews of the day. And so they, they come to Jesus as He's making His way through a grain field, verse 23. His disciples, as they're going through the grain field, they're plucking heads of grain. And they're eating them. I've never done that before. I, hey, where's, where's the salt and pepper or something? I don't know. Uh, how, it can't taste very good, I don't know, but, but they're hungry. They're, they're, they're eating the grain as they go. And the Pharisees, they come to, the, to, to, to Jesus, and they, they come to the disciples, and what are you doing, Jesus? Letting your disciples do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? It's a huge accusation. Uh, Sabbath breakers in the Old Testament could be killed. You can write down Exodus 31 and read through that passage if you like. They're accusing him of doing something uh, very, very drastic for Jews. To violate the Sabbath was an evil thing to do. They're, they're, and what they're saying is, is that uh, there, there was a, in the second century, there was a group, uh, uh, it was called the Mishnah. It was, it was a written list of all the, the extra rules that the Jews had. Now, the, the Pharisees, they believed that when Moses received the Ten Commandments, when he received the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that God gave an uh, oral teaching to the Jews. The Pharisees believed that, that this oral teaching was just as powerful and strong as the Torah. It was kind of like a fence around the Torah to make sure you kept the law. Uh, there was, uh, in, in, the, in this, the written form of the oral law was called the Mishnah. Now, now, these Pharisees, they had so many rules about the Sabbath, it was incredible. On the Sabbath, you couldn't stitch a piece of clothing. On the Sabbath, you couldn't untie a knot. Just radical, of course you couldn't butcher animals, you couldn't do the big things, but even down to the smallest details, you couldn't do it. It was wrong. It was evil. And so when they get to Jesus and they see him, his disciples eating grain, what do they accuse him of? Harvesting. Reaping. <laughs> you can't reap on the Sabbath. Reap? We're just eating. Yeah, that's reaping. You're working. You can't work on the Sabbath. You can't do any work on the Sabbath. It's evil. And Jesus is like, oh, you guys are so missing the point. You guys are so missing the, 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 the rightful interpretation of the law. 
I, I just imagine his exasperation. So what he does is, is he enters into a rabbinic dialogue. And the way they did it was they answered questions with questions. The way they did it was they answered questions by quoting Scripture. So he goes back to, to 1 Samuel and he says, you guys have read about David, haven't you? And of course they have. And you remember when he was, uh, when he was running from Saul and, and he and his companions were hungry. What did they do? They, they went into the temple. They, they went into the tabernacle, the holy place, and they ate the sacred bread. Uh, he, the, the Pharisees are, are accusing Jesus of violating sacred time, Sabbath time. Jesus goes back to the Old Testament. He says, David violated sacred space when he entered the tabernacle and he ate the bread of the presence. Uh, every Sabbath, the, the priest would put out 12 loaves of bread on the, in the holy place on the table. And the old bread would be given to the priests to eat. Okay? And, and so David eating and his companions eating the bread was wrong. It was, it, was, it, was, it was wrong. How he entered, verse 26, the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And, and David gave it to those who were with him. Haven't you read that? And, and what, he's, what he's getting to is, did God ever judge David for that? The answer is no. It, it wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't the prescribed thing to do. It, it was only for the priest. And yet David, the greatest king in Israel's history up until this point, he went in there and he took the bread because they were hungry and they were in need. And Jesus is saying, isn't that what we're doing here? And what he's, what he's alluding to, what he's getting to, he's claiming that he's interpreting the law better than they do. He's saying there's a higher principle here. Human need is a higher principle than what the law was teaching about Sabbath, about not working, or about not eating the bread. He's saying that when people are in need, it's okay to do good. When people are hungry, it's okay to do good. And, you're, and, and pertaining to the Sabbath. And what they, what they looked at the Sabbath, when they talked about the Sabbath, the interpretation was no work, period. But Jesus says, what was the Sabbath for? What was, it, what was it there for? Why, why did God give it? Or, or basically he's saying, why did I give it? Because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So why, why, why was it there? It was for people's benefit. It was for people's blessing. It was for people's freedom. Okay, the Sabbath was a day of rest for their benefit, for their good. Because if, if God didn't give that day of rest, of, of course it's tied to the seventh day and God rested and there's some symbolism there. It was for the people's benefit. What would happen if God didn't give that command? Greedy farmers would go out in there and work on the seventh day to, to work harder, to get more. And they'd force their workers to work harder, to get more. They'd force their animals to work harder, to get more. God gave the Sabbath as a way of protecting people from themselves. God gave the Sabbath as a way to force people to trust Yahweh in His provision. God gave the Sabbath for their benefit, for their good, for their joy, for their blessing, for their happiness. Our, our God, and, and Jesus is saying, the law that God gives is done in love. And when you say that doing good things is work, when you're saying that doing good things for people is outlawed and evil and wrong, you miss the whole point. Of course it's okay to do good on the Sabbath. 
Of course it's okay to love people on the Sabbath. Of course it's okay to meet needs on the Sabbath. I remember I was playing basketball in the Philippines uh, one time, and it was, it was Good Friday, and, and uh, a lady came out, and she yelled at me, and she said, don't you know that Jesus died today? Yeah, I, I, I do. <laughs> and she was rebuking me for actually doing something fun on a holy day. And I, I stepped back, and maybe that was inappropriate as I was playing with the guys, you know, as I was there doing ministry with the guys. I was trying to, you know, love them and get to know them so I could share the gospel with them. And she came and, and she didn't like it. And I said, well, maybe I should have stepped back. But sometimes in, in, in church life, sometimes we, we, on our day off, you know, we, uh, there's so many rules. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do anything like that. Uh, what is the Sabbath for? What, what is law for? What, what is religion for? What, what, why did God give us his teachings and his commandments? And, and what, why did he allow, why, why did he give us uh, his word for our benefit? For, for His glory, of course. As we're walking in His way, in His truth, in His righteousness, as, as we're living by His pattern, we are witnessing Him, we're pointing to Him, we're, 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 we're glorifying Him, but law isn't meant to shackle people or ruin people or enslave people. Of course you can do good on the Sabbath. Of course I can feed my men on the Sabbath who are hungry, reaping, Working, they're not working, they're having their needs met. By saying this in this conflict with the, these people who accused him of breaking the law, he's, uh, he's, they're, they're claiming an authority, but he's saying that, uh, you know what, your interpretation of the Sabbath is wrong, my authority is greater. I do not bow to your custom, I do not bow to your false teaching, I do not bow to your, your way of life in this matter. And so, the, boy, the table's set. The, the, the table's set there. The conflict is, is, it's on, buddy. It's on. Because what he's saying is your whole way of being a Pharisee, your whole way of, of working the law to be righteous in God's sight, your whole way of working the law to, to build your pride up and to show how great you are, how important you are, your, your whole way of, of doing the law to earn God's favor, it's It's wrong. We keep the law in response to God's grace. The law shows us our need before God and how broken we are. The law shows us, shows us how distant we are from God. It shows us that we're sinners. The law crushes us underneath its commands so that we will know God's grace and will turn to God's grace and will choose His grace. But once you understand that you're saved by grace and grace alone, then you respond to God by keeping His law because you know it's the best way to live. It's the good way to live. The conflict is on. The Sabbath, verse 27, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Religious rules were made to benefit men. God's Torah was made to benefit society. God's laws were made to bless Israel. Not to enslave them. If you think about religion as enslavement, if you're here today and you've rejected the authority of Jesus because you think He's going to enslave you, you're mistaken. He's come to save you. 
He's come to give you life. He's come to give you life to the full. He's come to give you direction for living and, and power for living and, and a pattern for living that ultimately is good. The best life possible is following the commands of Jesus Christ. So the Son of Man, that's from Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. The Son of Man, the authority one, the one who's given authority, the one who's given dominion, eternal dominion, He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is claiming that He's the boss of the Sabbath. He's claiming that He's over the Sabbath, the master of the Sabbath. In, in these sections, of course, Mark the Evangelist is bringing this, these, these sections to us, these conflicts to us, these teachings to us, because He wants us to come to the conclusion that Jesus is Messiah. He wants us to come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord. And, and he wants you to wrestle with the question, is he Lord of my life? Have I given him authority? Or do I follow another religious authority? Do I follow other religious teachings? Do I follow other teachers? Or is Jesus the authority of my life? Clearly, Mark wants you to bow the knee to Jesus. But the religious leaders, they're not having it. Chapter 3, verse 1 Again, he entered the synagogue. In the synagogue, it's an assembly hall. It's a meeting place for the Jewish people to recite Scripture and, uh, and uh, hear a sermon. Uh, he's probably in Capernaum again. And a man was there with a withered hand. Now, how'd the man get there? The Pharisees planted him. That's the assumption. If you read the text, because they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And so it's a big turnout on, on Saturday morning. It's a big turnout at the Sabbath. Jesus probably can't help himself to heal the man. We got him. And, and what, what's the problem with healing on the Sabbath? It's work. In their opinion, it's work. You can't, you can't violate the Sabbath. You can't work in the Sabbath. God said you can't work in the Sabbath. To heal someone would be wrong. So I, I, I think they, they planted the man to see what Jesus would do. They're watching, and they could care less about the man. A withered hand, what does that mean? Probably a paralyzed hand. There's some tradition that says that this, was, this man was a mason, that his livelihood depended on the use of his hands for, to feed his family. The tradition says that it, he, he went to Jesus and asked for healing. Um, he's got a withered hand. He's, he needs help. Paralyzed hand, he needs help. And so Jesus said to the man, verse 3, with a withered hand, come here. So he said, hey, hey, stand up in front of us all. Let's make this, let's make this clear. Let, let, let's, let's make it clear where I stand. Let, let's see what they say. Let's see what they do. And he said to them, is it lawful? So the question is, whose authority? By whose authority is, is what's going to happen here? We're claiming some, there's somebody in authority. There's something in authority. So he's saying, is it lawful? Who, who, who do you refer to when it comes to what's right and wrong? Who do you refer to what, what, is, uh, what you're free to do and what you're not free to do? Mark wants us to say, Jesus is my authority. Jesus is asking the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? He's asking a moral question. Isn't it, isn't it right just to help somebody on the Sabbath? Is that so wrong? 
is it right to save life on the Sabbath? And the obvious answer, of course it is. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the oral law, I referred to it as the Mishnah earlier, uh, they would say a midwife could help a woman give birth on the Sabbath. They, they would say in the case of an emergency, like say someone's house is burning down, you could pull somebody out of the house, but that, that wasn't work to save their life, but you couldn't put the fire out. Because that was work. Uh, There's so much you couldn't do on, on the Sabbath. And so Jesus poses the question maybe they'd never thought of before. Uh, so it's Sabbath day. Is it okay to do good? <laughs> He's got them right where he wants them. What are they going to say? No. They stay silent. But he has a deeper question. Is it lawful to do evil on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to kill on the Sabbath? And he's directing that question right to the Pharisees because what are they doing? In the name of protecting the Sabbath, they're plotting his murder. In the name of, of all that's holy, they're planning evil. How, how ironic and strange. So the question of good and evil, of saving life or killing, they were silent. Because they know it's in their hearts. They're already condemned. They already know what the problem is. They're rejecting Jesus and they're rejecting what is right. And he looked around at them with anger, a righteous indignation, right? The, uh, uh, anger, um, we can get anger, angry at evil. We just don't hate, or we aren't malicious in our anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart, their hardness of heart, their, their, their unwillingness to believe, their unwillingness to trust, their unwillingness to love, their unwillingness to surrender, they're, they're hard-hearted. And he said to the man, he commanded the man, uh, see, he's, Jesus isn't taking a popularity poll here, he's not... He's not uh, running for office here. He's not wondering what the political winds are here. He knows exactly what he's doing. When he says, stretch out your hand, and, he, and with a word, he heals the man. Now, now oddly, he didn't do any work <laughs> that they could define, and yet the man is healed. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians, uh, the Herodians, remember, they, they arrested John the Baptist uh, when he accused them of, of sin, and uh, um, they, they eventually killed him. So the Pharisees are in league with, with uh, the Romans here. They, the Pharisees who so badly want to keep the law, they, they're, they're tying in with the Romans because the Romans can help them kill Jesus. Again, their priorities and their, their morals are out of whack, but so be it. Jesus is claiming authority over their lives. He's claiming authority over the Torah. He's claiming authority over the oral law. He's saying, I am the one who is uh, deciding these things. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. He doesn't, authority means you have the privilege, the right to forgive sins. You have the privilege, the right to heal when you want to. Uh, all the other authorities fall away before Jesus. And the religious leaders can't go there. Because it means a loss of their position. It means a loss of their power. It means a loss of their status. It means a loss of their way of life. 
what would it mean for you to come under the authority of Jesus? It would mean that you'd have to give up other authorities and powers in your life. It mean you, you would have to surrender your choice of how you want to live. It would mean that you would bow the knee to what He wants and live according to His standards. Isn't that what it means to be a disciple? Remember when Jesus uh, sent the, 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 the apostles out, He says, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He's claiming that His authority overcomes all other authorities, that His teachings, His way of life is the highest authority. The Pharisees rejected Jesus. You need to accept Jesus' authority. We need to accept Jesus' authority as King, as Messiah, as Lord of all. We cannot put ourselves higher than Jesus, can we? We cannot follow some other religion or some religious set of rules or other religious teachers and give them a higher place in our life than Jesus, can we? He's the Lord. We must surrender. We must submit to Jesus as Lord. then we'd be right with the universe. We'd be right with the world. We'd be in alignment with all that's true if Jesus is our Lord. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord? Surrender to Him today. Give Him your life today and let your life be changed forever as you follow the King. Please stand in His presence. Lord God Almighty, we bow today before You. Lord Jesus, You came from heaven to earth. You, you came uh, to, from heaven to earth to go to the cross, to, to die for our sins, to sacrifice Yourself to save us. But you rose and you rose to power. You ascended into heaven and now all authority in heaven and on earth is yours. And Lord, forgive us if we have placed other things ahead of you. If we've placed other gods ahead of you, other idols ahead of you, other traditions ahead of you, other cultures ahead of you, other society uh, dictates and standards ahead of you. We confess today that you are Lord. Lord, we ask for the grace to follow You, to obey You, to trust You more. Lord, if there's any, any kind of uh, idols in our life that are conflicting or, or, or challenging Your authority, crush them in our life, Lord. If there's any kind of, of false religion in our life, false teaching in our life, any kind of patterns of living, uh, religious ways that aren't of You, please reveal them to us and help us to remove them from our life. May we walk after You, Lord Jesus in obedience and faith. You are worthy, Lord. We confess that you are the King, worthy of all of our obedience, worthy of all of our praise, worthy of all of our honor. Lord God, make us your people this week. May we follow you no matter what comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.